0: Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached Word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor Tim Barone at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Well, grace and peace to each of you in the name of Jesus the King. Uh, Let's open up to Romans chapter 14. Uh, Today we continue in our conversation about the life of the church, how we're to live together before God in unity together under one Lord. Uh, We saw in the Old Testament readings... Uh, kind of this confusion of the priests in Micah, God taking the priests to task for confusing his people instead of being clear with his commands. And then in the New Testament, we saw Jesus overturning some of the Old Testament traditions, uh, showing that all of the Sabbath was really about him, and he was the Lord of the Sabbath. And so we're going to look at how uh, Jesus and the way of Jesus, the new life that is in him, the new community that is in him produces unity as we look to one source for our authority in this world. Uh, Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would open up to us your scriptures and uh, we want to yield our lives, our hearts, our minds uh, over to you, Lord. Do with us as you please. We are your people, we are your creatures. And so cause us to to think and to know you more and to, to do the things that you have called us to do in this life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's look uh, together uh, in Romans 14. I'll read beginning in verse 13 as more instructions of how we are to live with one another in the church. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus That nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is clean, indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Um, So I think as I grew up, um, as I kind of came of age and started understanding more and more about the world, uh, starting studying history and actually following politics a little bit, starting thinking through the state of this world, uh, especially, I think, uh, after the events of 9-11, people were more interested in world affairs and more keen and keyed into what was going on, I think for me personally, as I grew, I began to lose faith that the world was ever going to figure it out. How about you? And it's actually kind of a painful thing to realize uh, that I think what really struck me is when social media kind of took the front and center and uh, the politics in the United States became really vicious, and we began to see that. I realized that normal people like you and me could not even hold a normal discourse with one another without fighting. And I realized that was the fundamental issue, that no one would ever be united Uh, if they could not at least have a conversation with one another. And so I I started to become very disillusioned about what what we could even do about all of these things or what I should really hope for. And it was about that time uh, that I began to pay close attention to what Jesus was saying about unity in his church because it's something that I hadn't really considered fully and I didn't recognize just how much of the New Testament was about this topic, about unity between the people of God under the Lordship of Jesus. Uh, And so I wanna show you that today in our scripture, Paul is talking about nothing else than that, about how we as the people of God should display unity to the world. But I wanna show you a few things first And the first thing I want you to kind of grab onto today is this, that Jesus's highest priority for us in the church is unity. It's maybe not what you would first consider, but Jesus's highest priority is that we would be united under his lordship and give a witness to the world because of this. That's his number one priority for you. And so a question I would have just right off the bat to reflect a little bit is, do you also share this as your highest priority? As you conceive of your life as a Christian and and in the church, do you think my highest priority is to be united with the people that I worship with? Is to think of them as my family? Is to have one heart and one mind as we all dwell under one Lord? Because this is what Jesus wants. If you were to ask Jesus what he wanted for Christmas, he would say he wants unity in his people. And so let's look at what Jesus says in John 17. This is known as the high priestly Prayer. Jesus is praying for his disciples and for us who would follow. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Isn't that interesting? He's praying for you, that we would be one with one another in the same way that he is one with the Father. Now, they're pretty tight, I think. And he wants that same kind of relationship for us. He wants to unite us in. So the first thing that we could say is this rebukes Any idea of individualistic Christianity, any idea of consumeristic Christianity, I'm going to find the church that suits my needs. I'm going to find the church that gives me what I want. I'm going to be someone who just consumes. No. The vision of the church from Jesus' perspective is those people who are gathered together into oneness. And if we have a different idea about the church, we're wrong. Uh, Second, let's look at uh, what Paul says in Ephesians, similar kind of idea. He says this about the church. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Will you read this yellow text with me? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. And so why do pastors exist? Why were the apostles sent out? Why are there teachers so that we can actually begin to attain this unity of faith? There is only one faith. There's only one true faith. And our job is not to squabble over what that faith is, but to see it, discover it, and to be united underneath it. Finally, we kind of look at um, what Paul says today. So let's open up into our uh, journals or the Bible today, and he's saying these same kind of things. Now, I want to kind of give a caveat because um, here he's talking about food laws, which seem to be the particular issue going on at the church in Rome, that there was. Jewish background Christians and there was Gentile background Christians and they had very different ideas about what was acceptable and he's trying to help them navigate to that. I don't think any of you are dealing with food law issues today, are you? Probably not, but the principles that he puts forward we can apply for our own unity as a church too. So look what he says in verse 13. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And so he points out uh, our job, especially if you're strong in the faith, is to make sure the weak in the faith can access that faith and aren't tripped up. Uh, Look down to verse 19 with me. He says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This is the work of the church, is to build each other up. And then in verse 20, he says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. And so the general ethic here is that of love, right? In the things that are non-essential, not commanded or forbidden by God, We are to defer to the weaker person and make sure that those who are strong are making sure that the weak are cared for. So that's the general principle, the general ethic he's giving us. And so here's maybe one way to summarize that, is that we must be united on essentials and patient about non-essentials. And what Pastor John was talking about uh, yesterday as well that we have this obligation to be united for what God has said. But for those things that are not commanded or forbidden, we need need to be patient with one another and not make those into essential pieces. And so let's think about this. It might be a little bit of fun. What are the essential things that we would uh, live and believe in? What are those things? One, it's essential, not optional, that we gather to hear God's word, right? Jesus says, uh, abide in me and I will abide in you. Apart from me you can do nothing, but in me you will bear much fruit. Hebrews 10 says, don't neglect to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so we hear from the scriptures, this is one of the, non-essential, or one of the essentials, non-optional parts of our life is to gather around the word of Christ, the word of God. Second non-essential is to teach the pure and free gospel of Jesus. That when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he means your entire salvation project. The entire salvation of the world is finished on the cross. And so we don't add to that. We don't say, yeah, Jesus and this gets you salvation. No, it's Jesus one salvation. It's free to all who believe. Uh, It's not optional for us to say, oh, and this or that, or add a little bit to the top. No, it's to accept what the Lord has freely given and to freely give that out in the church. And so Romans gives us this beautiful summary verse in Romans 3. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified as a gift by his grace. So you can't earn a gift And so we freely give it out. The the next is the Ten Commandments, right? We don't have the option as Christians to say, oh, the Ten Commandments don't work or they don't matter, or it's an optional part of the Christian life is to follow the Ten Commandments. No, Paul says, should we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? Of course not, As we are uh, washed in the blood of Christ, we see that the Ten Commandments are God the Father's loving care for us. That it's truth from a loving Father. And so we pursue the Ten Commandments. We hold them high. We hold each other accountable because we can't escape them and they're good. And to transgress them is to sin against God and one another. So we avoid breaking the Ten Commandments. We pursue them. Uh, Baptism, the Lord's Supper, forgiveness of sins. Each one of these is explicitly commanded by Jesus. That's what you guys should be doing in your worship, right? You should be gathering around the forgiveness of sins. You should be baptizing people as disciples, teaching them everything that I've taught you. You should be eating and drinking this salvation that, that God has gifted to the world in Christ. These things are essential parts of our faith. We do not have permission to change them. And if we do, we're no longer Christian. Uh, Other essential things, that we give our money and talents to support the gospel and church. Jesus commands this, that we would build each other up with our resources and with what God has given to us. That we forgive one another as Christ forgave us. I think this is one of the most difficult for us, is we are called to forgive people in our lives who harm us when they ask for our forgiveness. And we cannot deny that command from our Savior. Instead, we have to always be ready to have a heart that's willing to forgive, and that we walk together in love. These are non-essential or non-optional. They are essential parts of what it means to be a Christian community. And we, following our shepherd, find a good home under these things. But then there's things that are non-essential, right? What are some of those things? How we study God's Word. There's no prescription in the Bible that says we have to get up at 6:30 a.m. to study our Bible. There's no prescription that says, you know what, you have to use a lectionary system in readings in church prescribed, you know, we're going through Romans, we'll have gone through it for about 10 months. Not every church is doing that. There's a lot of freedom in how we absorb God's word and how we learn about it, right? The methods of teaching faith to the young you might, might surprise you, but the word confirmation is not in the Bible. And there's a lot of freedom. You don't have to teach confirmation one way or another. It's not an essential command from God, and so we are free to change it if it's useful for building up the body. Don't throw things at me. It's true. How long Christian gatherings are? How long should we meet together as Christians? How long should we hear sermons? How long should we dwell in God's Word? I have some friends in Botswana, and they're translating the Bible, actually, into the native language there. And when they go to church, they go to church for three to four hours. (laughs) And there's a meal in between. And they just keep going. They just keep singing. It's like they were telling me, I don't know if my my voice is ever going to come back. But these things are optional. Now, if I tried that here in this community, would that be okay? (laughs) We would struggle. But what I'm trying to point out to you is this is an Optional, it's a non essential. We have the freedom to develop this kind of worship if we wish, but it might not be good and beneficial for building up the body of Christ. What about if we use a common or individual cup in communion? Some churches always have the common cup, some churches only have the individual cup. There's no command from God. The command is eat and drink for the forgiveness of sins, wine and bread, right? Bless this for the sake of my people. But there's no command on how we should do that. And so there's freedom to do this. Believe it or not, even with COVID, Common Cup is acceptable. It's okay. So these are non-essential pieces uh, that we need to be patient on. Other non-essential ones, what kind of instruments we use in worship. Some people think there's only going to be an organ in heaven. That's not true, right? We, can, we have freedom to use all kinds of instruments to praise our God, to lift his name high. There's also going to be an organ in heaven, right? The exact amount of money we should give to the church. We don't have a prescription for exactly how it—there's some suggestions, Old Testament, New Testament, for tithing, but we don't have a prescription. And so you can give more than that if you want to. Do you know that? You can give 40 and 50 percent of your income to the church if you feel like it. Because there's no command, but there is the command to give, to be generous. But there's not uh, counting every penny of how much. Uh, Which mission efforts we support? Jesus said, go to the end of the worlds with the gospel to all nations. This is a command. We don't get to choose not to do that. But he didn't say how or which missions we should prioritize. And so we're supporting some missionaries in Latvia We're also going to go over to St. Louis and we're going to help some friends there, some brothers and sisters in Christ build up that ministry. We have freedom in what we're going to do, but just the essential is that we go to do it. Other things like vestments and church traditions. Uh, Believe it or not, I don't have to be wearing this right now, right? Right? This is a symbol of Christianity, this all, this is a symbol of pastoral authority, this, this stole. But you know what? Not many people know what that is. Not many people know what that looks like. To some people, it might be really strange. And so if it's useful for teaching the Christian faith, I'll wear it, I'll use it. If it's not useful for teaching people, if they're like, why are you wearing a, a Halloween costume? That's not for a month or so, then it's not useful. It's not an essential part of the Christian walk. And so the key here is to discern what is essential and what is not. To hold firmly to what is essential and to let go of what is not. not doesn't mean you can't argue about it or to think about it carefully, but to not raise it to the level of an essential. And that's how we are going to be united in the church. And here is kind of a, Uh, general principle for this as well, that the obstacles to the weaker person's faith should be removed by the strong. So if you are strong in the faith, if you have been around Christianity for a while, if your parents taught you Christianity, if your grandparents taught you, if you're well-versed and understanding the gospel, and you're not confused about what's right or what's wrong or what you can do and should do, you have an obligation in the gospel to help people who are new, to help people whose consciences aren't fully formed by the command of Jesus. Show them what is essential and show them what is is essential, and don't get those two things confused. Here's a little cartoon to help us laugh and think about this a little bit. So it's a little small, so I'll read it. It says, the whole church watched with nervous anticipa- anticipation as the visitors sat where the Martins have sat for 42 years. <laughs> yeah, man, that was like a 1988 cartoon. It's still pretty good. But this helps us just understand a little bit who should defer in this situation. Is it the strong who get their way? We've been around for 42 years. Or is it the weak who are deferred to, to help them not obtain a stumbling block, to clear the way so that they can get to the gospel? Here's what Paul says in verse 20. He says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Do not, for the sake of something that's not essential, destroy what is essential, the faith in a brother or a sister. And of course, we're not struggling with food, so I'm just going to encourage you to fill this blank in, right? Whatever it might be, do not, for the sake of something non-essential, destroy the faith someone that Jesus died for. That's how we're to operate as the church. That's how we're to pursue unity, And so what if there's kids being rambunctious during the service and you're like, I can't concentrate. I can't get the gospel. I need this. Can't they figure it out? What about the opposite of that? They need to hear the gospel. Maybe I can help them to get closer to the Lord rather than insisting that my needs are catered to. Right? Or what should we wear to church? What clothing should we wear? I think it's a good piety that a lot of people are like, if I'm going to church, I'm going to wear at least some buttons on my shirt. Right? People have this ingrained in their minds that they should give their best to God. They should dress up a little bit. They should show honor and respect. But you know what? God desires mercy and not sacrifice. And so it's a temptation to say when someone comes into church seeking the gospel and they're wearing sweatpants and a ball cap, to make that a thing, right? To make that the biggest issue in the room and to elevate it into an unhealthy place. Not saying you should just be a slob everywhere you go, but it's not the essential part of the gospel. The essential part is that Jesus died for sinners, And non-essential is what you're wearing when you encounter him. So we have to be careful about this and to think through, are we putting stumbling blocks in front of anyone? Are we keeping anyone back from encountering the gospel? A more serious one might be the way that we use our money. uh, Because God desires to love the poor. And so if we're not cautious about what what we wear even, what we drive, what we eat, and what we drink... If we're not careful, we could alienate them instead of bringing them close and showing them welcome. The key is in all circumstances, we are to pay attention to those who are more weak among us and to alter our behavior so that they can be accommodated. Uh, finally, there's a, a principle I think we should take away, and it's at the very end of this passage in verse 23. Uh, it's that last uh, sentence. It says this: "For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin." And so, any action done apart from faith, apart from trusting this Savior, apart from submitting to His Word, comes from a place of sin. And so, whatever we do, we need to put on our our minds the mind of Christ. And we need to think about how we are to be a living sacrifice before the world and to be careful about the actions, the words that we're saying as we do it with reference to Jesus and not apart from the work and the word of Jesus. I want to take you to one final picture in the scriptures. And this is at the very end. The very end of the world. At the very end of God's victory. In the book of Revelation, there's this picture uh, in Revelation 7. And I think if you're fed up, and tired of the world's failures to achieve true unity, uh, look up this passage and meditate on it. This is what St. John sees in this vision. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What do you see? Uh, People are all included, right? There is an essential. They are around the Lamb of God and the throne. But you know what? They come from different languages, different traditions, different expectations, different cultures. But somehow God has brought them all into one place and united them fully. Can the world produce that? I don't think so. He goes on. And he says, they're all clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. He shows uh, all of these people have one God, one Lord the lamb who's on the throne, and that is their unity. They're not united on their preferences or their non-essentials. They're united because they've all been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And this is how you stand in the church as well. That God has washed you of all your sins, of all your errors. He's healed you of the sicknesses of sin and death. He's done that with his blood and he's washed you. And he's brought you into a community of people that he's done the same for all of them. And so as we learn to live together in anticipation of the great day that's described here, we learn to live with each other in love. Worshiping the one who has clothed us in righteousness and made us all to be his children. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would continually unite your church, uh, both here at Holy Cross and throughout the world. Uh, Lord, gather us around your throne that we may praise you. Wash us of our sins. Lord, we repent of any time we have insisted on our own way and we have made the weak to stumble. Cause us to be strong and to be those who serve one another. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.